Howdy peeps and welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. Hello peeps, it's Wednesday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, for Jesse, I guess that means it's 6 o'clock? 6 o'clock Pacific yeah. Standard Time. Yeah. <laughs> Elizabeth, you're in Maryland? Yep, just outside of Washington, D.C. Right, so you are currently also in the Eastern yes. Standard Time. Eastern. Wonderful. Or whatever we call it now, Eastern Daylight? I don't even know. I always lose track of which is which. Yeah, me too. So it's we're in the Eastern time zone. How's yes. that? Uh, <laughs> so we're here with Elizabeth Hargrave. Uh, and we have um, a bunch of questions for you because let's just let's just get it out there. You're, you're doing awesome. And uh, everything's <laughs> coming up, Elizabeth. So why don't we start with uh, talking about how did you become a designer, Elizabeth? What made you want to design? games so i had probably been playing games for about 10 years already and this would have been maybe 2014 ish um and just started talking with some friends about how we were kind of tired about tired of all the standard board game themes which among the games we were playing was like castles and trains (laughs) with a few other things scattered in and just started talking about like why are there no games about things that we're actually interested in. And mm-hmm. not long after that, I started um, making up some cards just by hand with different birds on them and, and playing against myself for a while, trying to see if I could get a little system to work where instead of, you know, wood and ore and sheep, you have different kinds of bird food <laughs> and, uh, and birds that eat them. I was say, is birds the first concept of this, like just from the beginning? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. So it's Sorry, always been birds. That's what I was going to say. Always birds. Been birds. Yeah. Always. So you, you, you went pretty hard. 14 years of birds. <laughs> No, from so like 2014. Oh, so five, yeah, four, five years ago. Oh. Four years by my count, but <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. Could be wrong. Math, math, math. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And um, when you decided to, to do like what at that point was very much a non-traditional theme, um, what other themes have been going in your mind other than birds? I want to know like what, what you're thinking of next. Now? What am I thinking of next? Sure. Or that, yeah. Um, so I have a game that just got signed that's about monarch butterfly migration. Mm-hmm. So like butterflies on a map moving north and south. Um, I am working on a game that's based on an experiment that actually happened in Russia where they tried to domesticate foxes into dogs. Genetics game, yeah. Um, I just love that story. I get really hooked by like little snippets of stories that I hear, and I'm just like, that could totally be a game. And my my brain is off and running. So, so I think that raises that that bigger question going down the design route is a theme or mechanic for you? Because people always love to hear other designers' processes. Yeah. So, what do you mind if we have a little bit of here? Like, how does your process work? Totally theme first. Um, I just keep a running list on my phone of little things like that, that that catch my eye. Um, So for example, when uh, Button Shy did their contest for Gen Can't last summer, looking for 18 card games, I just kind of looked through that list and I had been, that one was a little bit theme and mechanic first. I had heard a couple people in a row sort of say, why aren't there more I split you choose games out there? So I was like, okay, if I did I split you choose, what theme would go with this? And 
um, I had made notes about Victorian flower language, the fad of like assigning meanings to the different flowers that you give people that happened in Victorian times. Um, and so, you know, that was the beginning of Tussie Mussie, which is about I, to come out. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So actually, you know, what? I guess perfect time since you brought it up is why don't we plug the new Kickstarter and maybe a bit yeah. of the story about how that came out. We could definitely go back to your design process because I mean, it's always curious, but let's talk a little bit about Tessie Mussie. Sure. So it'll be on Kickstarter at the end of this month. I think May 28th, we're aiming for um, from Button Shy. So it's one of their 18 card wallet games. Um, and so from that original inspiration of I Split You Choose plus Flowers, it's a game about um, giving flowers to other players. And you're sort of collecting a little bouquet of flowers in front of you that all score based on what else you have already in front of you so and then the I split you choose part is that you give two flowers to the person next to you but one is face up and one is face down and they have to decide which one to keep and which one to give back to you very cool Travis Magrum is saying I got to play Tessie Mussie I can't recommend it highly oh enough. thank you Travis that's awesome it's a and fun little game it came it came together very quickly mm -hmm. sounds like it but I, I think sometimes it's wonderful right sometimes yeah, the best yeah. things just are aren't these games that you spent, you know, four years must, you know, planning right. or three years or whatever, two years. Um, yes. And so lots of people right now are very curious about Tussie Bussie, says Paul Saxberg. So already let's, let's get this Kickstarter started. It's on <laughs> yes. you think, May 20, 28th. May 28th. Okay. And for button shy. So look out for that. Excellent. Cool. So um, I'm noticing uh, a, a trend between all of your designs, uh, we've got Wingspan, which has real-world birds with lots of real-world bird facts. You've got a new game that you've just signed about monarch butterflies, you'd said. And now we've got Victorian flower language. Um, these are all, like, actual things, but not just actual yeah. things in the world, but things that you can include information where people will learn something about the world that maybe not everybody encounters, whether it be weird idiosyncratic facts about dating in Victorian England or <laughs> um, information about birds that you might not realize you're seeing every day. Um, how important is that real world connection to you? And is, is this just a coincidence that all your games are like this or is there something deeper to it? I don't know that I'd say it's important, but it's just kind of something that interests me. Like, like I was saying before, like I get hooked from this little story that exists in the world that like I want to tell people about and try and figure out how to tell that story through a game. Um, the the one game I'm working on that's in super early stages that I haven't mentioned yet is about stunt people, so I'm not sure it falls into the same category. But, but Are it's we still learning like a, about it's a, stunt it's people? A, it's a true existing thing in the world. Like I do think that that appeals to me more than sort of fictional settings. I don't know why. It's just the way it's I think. orcs and elves. Yeah, like yeah. You like to be grounded, <laughs> even though you're flying. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Briefly, flaming wow. hoop. Oh, or that, right? As a stunt, as a stunt people, right. and then we combine all the games and have quite the chaos going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. No birds do flying into flaming hoops, people. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So go ahead, Sam. What are you gonna say? I was gonna ask Elizabeth. Um, do you find it easier to make games that are grounded in reality, or does that actually make it harder? 
Because hmm. for me, magic is like the the be all and end all of why can we do that? Oh, magic. Okay, right. <laughs> Explain, I, th- I, think, away. I think it cuts both ways. Like there are definitely instances where real life things inspired um, powers in wingspan. And I really enjoyed that process of like trying to translate actual bird behavior into um, powers in the game. But at the same time, it created a lot of restrictions on me where like if I wanted a card that had a certain you know mix of food and nest type and wingspan size, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like I couldn't just make up some bird. I had to go find the bird that had those characteristics. So that was definitely a lot of work, like coming up with the the set of birds that all stayed true to their actual information but worked together as a set, as a playable game. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a quick follow-up on that super small yeah. question. What bird power in Wingspan are you most proud of? Oh, that's a good question. I really like the ones that can move from habitat to habitat when you activate them. Um, and I especially like it because some people don't realize why you would ever want to do that when they first <laughs> see it. And then when they get it, they're just like, oh, Yes. <laughs> the rounds matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's really fun. Here we have a question from the audience. Zach Connolly, uh, one of our fearless moderators, asks, you were clearly passionate about your theme. How important is maintaining the theme to you when signing a title with a publisher? Ooh, good question, Zach. Yeah, that's a good question, right? Because a lot of people sort of give the advice that you should always be super flexible on your theme when you're trying to get it signed. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think Wingspan, it wouldn't make sense to retheme it. Like I just, I had to find someone that wanted to work with the theme. Uh, And the same with the Monarch Butterfly. Like it doesn't make sense to do as a game, like what I guess you could do something else that's moving north and south on a map, but like, or, like or why? Why bother? <laughs> I don't know. Dragons. Something, something else right. that migrates, but is basically just going to be the same thing then. <laughs> right. So why? Um, so yeah, I I don't. I would not have let someone retheme wingspan. The birds were kind of the whole point. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, Brother Bing asks. Any cool bird trivia that you felt was really cleverly captured by that bird's card mechanic? So my favorite sort of, and the inspiration for a lot of the card powers, the fact that the birds even have powers on them was the brown-headed cowbird, which in real life is a bird that does not build a nest because it just lays its eggs in other birds' nests. So it doesn't need to build a nest. Yeah. Yeah, right. Cuckoos do the same thing. And so cuckoos also have this power in the game, which is that um, when other people lay eggs, your brown-headed cowbird or your cuckoo can then also lay an egg in one of your other bird's nests. Oh, very nice. It's almost like a follow power. In- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always liked cool. your, the predator birds that you were like... It- Flip a card, and it's like, was it small enough? I ate it. Is it small enough? <laughs> yeah. I ate it. <laughs> I don't know why, and that always makes me happy. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's that uncertainty. It's like gambling, right? <laughs> it's like, and you're done. I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. Um, this is interesting. Uh, it's not a question. It's just that you're the only one that that uh, Helena Capel. Hey, Helena. Yeah. 
addressed by name. The rest of us, we're just kids. You're just kids. That that <laughs> is true. That is, true. <laughs> that that is, is probably true. really now. Accurate. I I do I do want you to know that you are getting a whole bunch of backlash about trains right now. People are doing trains and that's because they move north to south. I'm okay with train games. I just don't want to make one. Good. Good answer. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) So with Wingspan being so popular right now, what is what's what's next for Wingspan? Mm, So we're working on expansions. I've wrapped up my part on one of them, so I've made a whole new deck and some other stuff to go with it. Um and I'm working on a second expansion, just wow. starting to like pull the bird list for a whole another continent. So that's fun. That's the fun part where I get to like look through field guides at all the pretty birds and say, oh yeah, that one definitely has to be in. Mm-hmm. So very neat. What, so- you cannot wait to be looking at anime characters. <laughs> that's, that's probably true too. I was gonna say, so when you went to start doing the expansion what continent did you pick and why? Or do you have Ooh. a priority order of what you're trying to go through? Because I'm really curious because all the birds are so different all over the world. So They are I, so I, different. It's really fun. We haven't said what order we're doing them in. So I'm not oh. going to You know, the oh. whole st- Stonemeyer like, hype train. We got to... <laughs> I don't know. I've, st- I've stumbled on some clues for you people, but no specifics. <laughs> That's really interesting. That, that is a really um, good... Yeah, I don't. I actually don't know the timeline of when Jamie's gonna say what we're what we're doing. But um, so I will I will remain mum right now. But what was the other part of your question? You wanted to know what continents in what order was there? Well, I wasn't sure what what. Oh. Well, so what can you tell us what the next expansion continent is at all, or not yeah. yet? No, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was like you just couldn't share the order because that would give away too much. I would assume it's all uh, continents but Antarctica. So. So no, so Antarctica has forty-five birds on it, which was a topic enough? of discussion on the Wingspan Facebook group today. It was like, could you do Antarctica? Maybe you could combine it with the Arctic and do sort of a polar expansion. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just looking forward to the, the Australasian one with all the birds that do weird things. You know, I have been hearing a lot from people from Australia. They love their birds down there. Oh, they do. They yeah. do. Yes, I mean, there's lots of people love their birds, but like I mean, they have a lot of good birds to love. They have a lot of parrots and birds of paradise and kiwis. Mm. They're so cute. Yeah. Um, Oh, Zach Connolly has another question. He says, "Having worked on Wingspan for so long, how did your design process differ when working on the button shy contest?" Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I mean, 18 cards is so different from 170. It was so refreshing. Um, One thing that was super different was that with Wingspan, I started with handwritten cards and for a long time was kind of making them one by one by hand before I learned Nandek, um, which after I learned Nandek was like, why did I not do this months ago? So, which is a program there's so you can use Nandek or component studio or InDesign, but they all will let you um, merge spreadsheet data into a standardized card layout. So you don't have to make each card individually. You can just have your spreadsheet with all the things you want on the card and then it'll make them for you. So that was a huge difference. Um, Cause I was like testing messy 18 cards. I started out doing it in word, but like by the second iteration, I was like, this will be faster in the end deck. And I just did it. <laughs> even just for the 18 cards, it's become such my, um, 
tool of choice for making cards at this point. Um, so that was one big thing. Um, and I think I just had a much better intuitive sense of um, how things would work together and the, the kinds of player interactions that I wanted um, and sort of avoiding negative player interactions and just having it be sort of about giving other people things, um, that kind of thing. So I'd say those are the two biggest things. So I think you brought up a really interesting thing with the Nandek idea and this idea of like, we discovered these tools and all of them are like, all of a sudden everything just gets so much easier. And so what I'm curious about, is there any other kind of like books or tools or apps, whatever it is that you've discovered recently that yeah. you're like, where has this been all my life? Huh? That's the biggest one. I just started learning Inkscape. So I'm a, I am of the design philosophy, which probably isn't true for me anymore of like, you're probably not going to make any money with your game. Don't spend a lot of money on computer programs. So like GIMP and Inkscape, <laughs> uh, All well, the, yeah, GIMP and Nandag are both free. And I, um, so GIMP is, I don't know Photoshop. the right graphics it's, term. It's, it's like Photoshop, Photoshop but yeah. Inkscape makes vector graphics. It's Um And have a friend that has a laser cutter. So I'm going to, get to play with a laser cutter for the first time, which is why I was like, okay, I have to learn how to make vector graphics. Yeah. Um, Cause it wants things in that format. Um, so those are some of the things that I've been playing with lately. Yeah. Laser cutter is kind of on my wish list. Yeah. On my, wish list. I would <laughs> one. my friend I has one, but it's, it's like, and I have to you know, worry about his schedule and I'd just rather do it. So one of my best friends works at a program actually where his entire job is just teaching kids how to do maker oh, stuff. So nice. he has oh, like routers and laser cutters and 3D printers and all that stuff, which is like, if I, I, I can't go use it freely, but I can sort of beg it off of him every once in a while <laughs> without being too annoying. Right. <laughs> okay. I just have to warn you, this may cover our faces, but brother Ming, uh, my, my little brother, Titi is so passionate about one thing that he wants to tell you. He oh. wants to ask you, have you ever played Hattoful Boyfriend? What? And here we go. It's a sweet <laughs> Japanese game. Hattoful <laughs> Boyfriend is an entire visual novel where the characters are talking birds. Not, not anthropomorphic birds, just straight up birds. It's incredible. You play as the only human character and what starts off as a silly visual novel turns into a post-apocalyptic tale about humanity's destruction of nature. That sounds amazing. I what is it called? Hatoful. H-A-T-O-F-U-L boyfriend. Hatoful boyfriend. Boyfriend. Definitely oh a Japanese game. Uh, that, is, that is definitely... That is I will definitely wonderful. check that out. I think that we're all going to check it out. Because who yeah. doesn't want to be the only human in a world full of birds? Absolutely. Post-apocalyptic bird world. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's an interesting point you know, Zach, Zach says uh, schools here in the US um, have gotten rid of shop classes I'm wondering if makerspaces uh, makerspace classes might move in 
And, you know, I definitely think in Canada, we're seeing that as well. We are moving that way. I I think part of it is too, because if you think about the type of equipment and materials that you're using, the maker spaces tend to be a little bit more on the easier side. Like, yes, there's some more tech stuff, but it doesn't tend to be like high industry, like power, like saws as often. You're not going to get cut by a... You're not going to lose an arm necessarily. Right, right. Might, might be the big distinctive difference. And so I wonder if maybe it's just a less liability for the school. So it's actually a good direction to move in. Yeah. That's maybe. interesting. Yeah. My friend's program is actually at a library. Yeah. That's, um, that's, what, that's what we've got yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, my impression is that a lot of their sort of funding and justification for it is that the kids are learning sort of tech skills, you know, the, like how to program the laser cutter and the 3D printer and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's um, so sort of a less shop class um, justification of needing to be able to make things with your hands and more about the like the tech side of it for better or worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Brother Ming is still yelling at us. Just Google it. The images will tell you everything. <laughs> After the show. I mean, it is I'm not going right. to distract yelling. myself. While he, he's he's probably, so Ming is a very good friend of mine, and he is probably sitting at his computer right now yelling at it, at us, <laughs> through the computer. because he's That's how you make your computer <laughs> put words in capital, right? Can, can you yes. add photos to the comment section? Can you just post them for us? So we don't have to look them up. Yeah, go post us the links, man. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> there you go. Helena, Helena is saying that that's what she she does for her school when she's teaching uh, a lot of makerspace stuff. Um, and she said that they're moving away from just making to making things for a reason. Uh, oh, maybe inquiry, right, is yeah. the main focus for the most part. So I, I, that makes sense. Yeah, very, very much. Yeah. And uh, Jason Mohan of Big Kids Games is saying, I enjoyed and I'm glad to have had a woodshop class in high school, but I would have benefited more from a makerspace class. Uh, <laughs> Zach Connolly is, bring back shop. He's also yelling at his computer. <laughs> There's a lot of yelling <laughs> today. <laughs> there, you, you bring out the best in people, I tell you. Apparently uh, so. They're very passionate. Well, this, this is when we're here. Uh, size. Okay, let's yeah. get going. Uh, Manolis, um, who's a designer from the Toronto area, says, you have become a strong voice for female equality in the board game industry. Is this something you've been passionate about, speaking about voices and having one, about in the past careers, or was it more of an observation on the current state of the industry? Huh. It, was really, it was really more an observation like so i started i got out of graduate school in 1996 and started working and at that point like was maybe slightly under parity in my field and health policy and like belonged to a women in health policy group and and you know over time into the 2000s like things got better and better and um felt like you know pretty close to parity in my workplaces most of the time and then I got into board game design and I was like, what year is this? Like, what, what is this? It's 2019. It's yeah. just bizarre to me. Yeah. It's so skewed. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's a bit to get used to it first. Thankfully, it's getting better, <laughs> but it was a bit to get used to it first. Yeah. Yeah. I'll fully I mean, admit to. Sorry. This, this right here is a strange picture of game design. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> fair. Awesome. We're, we're always in the unique boat. <laughs> that is perfectly fair. Uh, oh, here's some more questions for you. Uh, Naomi, 
Pertien Magola asks, I would love to know more about how you knew the game was ready and how you got connected with your publishers. How'd you know, how'd you know Wingspan was ready? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I just kind of felt like I got to the point where I was playtesting and playtesting and people were liking it and I didn't have ideas about how it could be better. Um, and then sort of the deadline of Gen Con. So I decided to go pitch at Gen Con 2016 because it felt like it was kind of at that point. Um, and so what I did was I just kind of looked through the list for the vendor hall and the organizations that were running events at Gen Con to try and get a you know list of the publishers that were going to be there and then looked through a lot of their catalogs and tried to figure out like who does games where a bird themed game would not be like just a total misfit. <laughs> So, like, any company that was doing all, like, fantasy and or science fiction and nothing else, like, was instantly out, right? right? Like, they're just not interested. Um, which, and that's fine. Like, that's, they should, that's fine that they specialize, but they didn't want my game, right? I didn't want to waste either of our time trying to talk to them. So, um, I, I ended up setting up meetings with Stonemeyer and with two other publishers, um, that all sort of had some uniquely themed games in their lineup. Um, with Stonemeyer, it was really viticulture that I was like, oh, maybe, you know, that's kind of a realistic theme and kind of out of, mm -hmm. outside the mainstream. Uh, maybe there's something there. So, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. It worked. That's awesome. And so, can I ask, because I think people are always curious about these things, was it something they took right away? Was it something that went through evaluation? Yeah, so um, I they gave me feedback right away on the spot. It was Jamie and Alan Stone um, gave me feedback right away on the spot. You know, th these are some things that are because we got to play most. I think most of a game within uh, the time that I met with the, or you know, I, I forget exactly. It's a few years ago now, <laughs> uh, but enough that they could like give me specific like this is what we would want to see change based on what we've seen. Um, and then they emailed me after Gen Con and said, you know, how, how would you approach that feedback that we gave you? Um, so I had taken really good notes and I kind of went through them point by point and said, you know, these are the ideas I had. And they said, great, go do those things and then send us a copy. And so it was after I sent them that next iteration that they actually sent me a contract. Nice. And, and what was the biggest thing that changed between if anything the version that they actually sent you the contract for and the final version that people can pick up in stores i'd say from that first version all the way through the final publication version even was like ramping up the engine building aspect of it more and more um, so added some things in, even in that first iteration, and then just kept like doubling down on that aspect of the game. Interesting. Yeah, how much did it build out? Like, where was this game originally time-wise to where it ended up? Um, it was definitely shorter and, and simpler, the version that I pitched to them. Um, yeah, but, you know, Stonemeyer wants like the big box Something event game for their line. Fun to take it there. Yeah, and so Daniel Zayas asks a uh, question for Elizabeth. Oh, one second, is this going to show? Uh, we can't. If we can't show it, I can't. I can't show it. Oh, interesting. Maybe it is showing it. I just can't see it. I, I can't see anything. Okay. Well, you can still ask me. <laughs> just ask. 
No, I, I is it a picture it. question? Like, what is it? <laughs> no, but it, but we want to use the, the technology to its fullest. <laughs> yeah, we are trying to figure that out. We want to be all fancy if we can help it. Ah, uh, great! Something something's all stopping in my thing. You guys keep talking. I'll, I'll right. get to the bottom of this. So we'll get, we'll get. So since since we're momentarily talking about the nitty gritty of wingspan. Um, one of the things that we, and this is kind of related to tools before, maybe we'll see that I'm really curious about is how you handled all of the dependent variables in that game. <laughs> like, what do you want to know? Well, I mean, yeah. to, I mean, to me, I, as, as someone who tends to like to make games that are big, but streamlined, I like look at a wingspan card and all I see is playtesting nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so what did, did you just have? Did you just live through those nightmares or did you have a process or a system <laughs> or software or a genie that helped you sort of keep a handle on all of these moving parts and right. make sure things were getting used enough? Like what, what were the big questions you asked about these things and how did you just like keep that bee's nest contained? Yeah. Or did you? I mean, I'm not sure I did entirely. Everything's in Excel. <laughs> So all of those little data points are just different columns in the Excel spreadsheet. Um, the scoring is all generated off of a formula that's based on all the other stuff, it, especially the power, but also like what food it eats and how many eggs it can lay and that kind of thing. And so like a lot of the playtesting was around the powers, right? Like the other stuff is real information about the birds. And I tried to like, there are birds an equal number of birds in each habitat and an equal number of birds with each nest type. So that was a matter of like just working with the list of birds and their true facts about them, which is a very, that's not like playtesting based. Right. But that like locks in a bunch of the information that's on the cards. It just is what it is. And so it was really like, I could play with the number of food that it needed to eat and I could play with the powers on the cards. So those were really the two moving variables. And so then that was like, yeah, playtesting and then asking people to tell me as they were playing or at the end of the game, like which ones seemed underpowered, overpowered, um, which ones were fun, where were we getting like interesting combos that emerged from play and, and things like that. Uh, so yeah, that was just play testing the heck out of it for sure. Awesome. And, um, and if you were to, if you were to write a, a formula for making a balanced decision about a bird card, what percentage weight would you give to playtester feedback and what percentage weight would you give to your formulas? I didn't want to get into tweaking everything by hand for 170 cards. So it's mostly formula based, but then I would sort of revisit the formula. If someone was like, this is overpowered. I was like, okay, why does this feel overpowered? And it's because um, the formula for that particular type of power, I was assuming that you, you know, get X number of points out of it, but really you can only get two out of it or, so, you know, more or less than what I was assuming that kind of thing, but more on a, like a group of cards level than individual, or, you know, if I made that decision about one card, it would usually affect multiple cards in the game. I wasn't like going in and tweaking every individual card because that would have been just too much. You'd eventually just loop back to the beginning again and just keep right, going. Right, right, right. I, I think keeping it sort of formula-based avoided having sort of unintended consequences of like, now that I've changed this card over here, it, now everything relative to it is off. Um, right. 
So we did get Daniel. I was gonna say we did get Daniel's question, the one we can't see for some reason. And so the question was basically, what's the funniest thing that you know about Jamie Stegmeyer? (laughs) Or funniest thing you could share about I don't know what where the line is drawn, but I'm not sure. That's a really good question. I can't think of anything particularly funny. (laughs) I'm sorry. Is it it just that Jamie's not particularly funny? No, I mean I just wait. We were super collegial and like emailing a ton through the whole process, but it was mostly about the game more than him telling me funny things about himself. I just (laughs) (laughs) okay, I'll go. I'll 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 buy that. Sir Bob has a question. He said, with the game length altering and wingspan, have you implemented the stone mare alterations reasoning into your future design? For example, um, have your quick games now have more built engine Right, right. It depends on the game. Um, The Monarch game that I have... um, is going to be, I think, a little lighter. We'll see. It's in development right now, so who knows? But um, and Tussie Mossy doesn't isn't really an engine builder, um, unless you, it, yeah, it's more set collection. What what else you already have in your hand? Um, so not. It depends on the game. I the Fox game, I think, is going to be heavier, and I'm I'm trying to figure out how to have it have a nice build to it. I'm still sort of working that out. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And what what's the mechanical basis for this the Fox game? Because it, it fascinates me already. Like Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there were a bunch of different traits that started just naturally. So when they were selecting the foxes for mm-hmm. breeding, they selected them only based on how friendly they were towards humans or like curious and unafraid of humans they were. Um sort of trying to mimic the natural domestication process that might have happened millennia ago right but all these other physical traits started popping up in the foxes as they bred them so uh, like their tails started wagging and they started barking and they got spots and uh, their ears got floppy it's crazy it's a wonderful story and um, so I have these cards that have those five traits on them and um, sort of a mother's side and a father's side if you can picture that and then, um, so you take a mother fox and a father fox that have certain traits filled in on them. And then you roll a bunch of dice and you decide which die. There are rules about how the dice would cause the traits to flow down from your mother and father fox to your pup. And then this is where the laser cutter comes in. <laughs> These little boards, um, sort of card, si- you know, tarot card size boards that have little holes cut out in them for chits. And so you're marking the traits on your pup as they come up by putting little chits in your in your pup card. So, yeah. Are you are you aiming for a type of like animal or is You're it like trying what's to get the all jugular? the traits to express themselves and have a domesticated dog out of your foxes. <laughs> okay. So the end result is actually <laughs> to finish the domestication. Right, okay, right. Right, right, right. Uh Jesse, I'm gonna drop you from the feed for a second, kick you back into the green room and I'm gonna pull up a picture of how to full boyfriend. The reason why I'm kicking you out is this is worth it. Because we can only have one thing in here with funky colored hair. I mean it (laughs) it's true. It's the rule. Otherwise you would have to fight. I would threaten the birds, yeah. Yes, and they would threaten you. One second, one second. Let's see if I can get you out of here. Boom, drop it in. And then we're gonna bring this in. There it is. 
<laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna show it solo because it is just that important. Oh my it's, god, I it's love pictures it. of of birds wearing mohawks. like like leather jackets with mohawks and sunglasses. And it says the text says this is what Ming sent me by the way. They're angry now. My hunter gatherer instincts can feel a fight coming, and this is why I had to kick Jesse out because Jesse would get his butt kicked by three. Uh, the gangbanger pigeons. Oh okay, Jesse, send them out so that Jesse can back in. All right. I had a full boyfriend. I had a full boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, had yeah. a full boyfriend. That's what it I is. can take him. Let me at him. No, you cannot. <laughs> uh, three of them. Three of them. Here's, here's some more for you. Three, one maybe, Jess. Three is a little too much. Your um, hair alone could take all three on. Let's keep going. That's kind of true. Your hair is kind of epic. Uh, Andrew Wolf, um, who works with Mondo, says, coming from the IP world, I'd like to know what your dream IP to work on would be. Mm. Or is that even something you'd consider? Yeah, it's like not, I'm not a big IP person. That is fair. I think it's right. Like, I mean, think about all the birds that I, all the themes that I mentioned. It's yeah. more like real life stuff. So if you could get um, you like Nat National Geographic or Mutual right, of Omaha. Right, right, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom, that would be Exactly. Awesome. There you go. Thank you, son. <laughs> uh, Zach Conley has another I question. totally grew up watching that show. Yeah. <laughs> um, Zach says, with the Tussie Mussy campaign coming up, what would you say is the fun twist you put on the I Split You Choose genre? Ooh. Nice. Uh, so the trick was to do it with 18 cards, right? So in a lot of ice split, you choose, you have a bunch of stuff and you're like deciding how many things to put in each pile. And with Tussie Mussy, um, there's just not enough items to do that with. So right. instead it's one face up and one face down and you're choosing whether to take the known card or the unknown card. And it's very funny that we've all just accepted that this is the name of the game. Why is it called Tussie Mussy? <laughs> we don't even ask. <laughs> right? Tussie Mussy is like a name for a very specific style of bouquet. I just, I think. Well, it's there you one. go. Yeah. There yeah. is a reason. There's a uh, reason. Yeah. It's fun to say. What matters? Exactly. Matter. As soon as I saw the word, I was like, oh, it's it's right? Did you back Tussie Mussy? I back Tussie Mussy. Well, you should back Tussie Mussy too. <laughs> Back to um, I don't know. Is there a backer level that gets me a bouquet? Ooh. Oh. Yeah. You should like totally team up with like, what's that FTL? Flat. Oh, I guess say, right. or, you know, some people are weird with cut flowers. You'd be like, send everybody's seeds. Seed seeds. Packets. Seeds would be awesome. There you go. Yeah. Locally, ecologically appropriate seed packets. I mean, for that. each person, yeah. some personally selected. Yes. Yes, for your, for your <laughs> location. Well, so Jesse and, and I have been wanting to make a game out of seed paper for the longest time, but it won't ever happen on a wide scale because seeds from different invasive species or That's seeds from true. different species could be considered invasives in different parts right, of the world. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. The seed paper is very cool. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. Uh, Sir Bob asks, how did how long did the bird art take to make? Well, those That's, birds with the mohawks, yeah. not long. Not long at all. But the ones in Wingspan? Um, I think, I don't want to misspeak. I want to say it took them about six months, and it was two people working on it. Wow. Well, there's a lot so of birds. It's cool. 170 birds. Yeah. Um, and I, there are interviews with Natalia and, and Anna where they talk more about it, but I want to say their average time for each individual illustration was something like eight hours. It was a lot of work. 
per that card. Is, wow. Yeah. 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 Much, much quicker than any of us would have ever drawn those. So yeah, right. right. That's oh, yeah, what, and they look wonderful. They're beautiful. Uh, Manolis asks, has it been difficult to deal with the overnight celebrity and having Wingspan mentioned in several world news outlets? Mm. Oh, it's mostly fun. I wouldn't call it difficult. I mean, it takes up time, right? That a lot of yeah. people are emailing me to do stuff and um, that kind of, but like, I'll take it. That's fine. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you um, about your, your regular day job and yeah. How does that relate to design, if at all? Uh, because you're right now in health policy, correct? Yes. Yeah. And are you like a lobbyist or do you work for something like that? So I'm a freelance consultant. I started out working for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services um, and then switched over to the Senate for a little while, for about three years, and then became a consultant but on the research side. Um, so... I have done a bunch of work for like the Department of Health and Human Services again, or one of my, um, did a lot for the Kaiser Family Foundation. Um, one of my, my, my main client now is a group called the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, which is like this independent legislative branch agency that's supposed to give advice to Congress about Medicare policy. So I do mostly Medicare, which is um, the U.S. program for the elderly and the disabled providing insurance for them. Um, and I mostly now am doing sort of qualitative research. So things like interviewing people about um, different sectors of healthcare and like how the things that they're doing and like in trying to address something in private industry could be applied to Medicare, for example, or mm -hmm. Um, this summer, I'm a, next week, actually, I'm about to go do a bunch of focus groups with Medicare beneficiaries and with physicians um, around a bunch of topics that my client wants to ask them. Um, so those sorts of things. Um, so, but I also have a history of doing a lot of really database stuff. So a lot of spreadsheet work, um, which definitely translated over into my comfort having a giant spreadsheet for wingspan. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and then I would say that the way the focus group stuff translates over is um, into playtesting and just sort of having experience working with leading groups of people and um, getting them to talk about things and, and trying to really hear what they are saying, even if they're not articulating it well um, and, and trying to sort of get to the root of whatever it is that they're trying to express. Um, it's like playtesting. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that was definitely a translatable skill. And have you ever wanted to make a game about the world you actually work in? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I made board games to get away from that world. <laughs> yeah, elves and orcs are too That's much of a fantasy, but I don't want too much reality. So you're kind of right exactly. in the middle in your happy zone. I see. I see. Yeah, it's just, it's not fun. I mean... Yeah, there's a lot of messed up stuff in the healthcare world. I mean, For maybe sure. I could imagine doing something that sort of pointed out some of the messed up things. Okay, like as a, as a message. Now I'm going to like wake up in the middle of the night with ideas about this. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy <laughs> medicine idea. Daniel, Daniel, who says, said, games are escapism. They're not always escapism. Yeah, not always. Uh, yeah, I would say that trend is definitely changing right now. Like, I think we went from escapism to 
now now it's about living through like whole specific experiences mm-hmm. a lot of things yeah but wanting to experience something that you haven't experienced or like someone else's life yeah. right and like the healthcare system i guess if it went into some angles that most people don't think about might be interesting but like everyone is touched by it at some point and has at least some vague understanding of why it's not great in the United States if you live here in the United States and it Mm -hmm. just doesn't seem fun it's like something that everyone's at least mildly upset about Mm. you can (laughs) Um, justify them being upset through the game yeah exactly exactly so Daniel I was going to say, Daniel's going to find one because I have an answer for this, but I'm curious what your guys' is as well. So well, Let's go for it. Yeah, he was asking, you just made an edible card game. I think this is based on you guys talking about seed paper. So you just made an edible card game. What does it taste like? Does it, I can't, so I, I totally have an answer for this. <laughs> but I don't know if anyone else wants to go. I think we, I mean, it's a question for all of us. We've I'll never not person. answered a question. So. Okay. I seriously want to make a board game about bubblegum, but bubblegum is actually a diminishing resource that you eat as the game goes on. So you it's it doesn't replenish. You can you eat the bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> that is my answer. There's a there's a fun one shot RPG that, that is the core mechanic. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> yes. So is all out of bubblegum. Yeah, all the bubblegum. I do know that one. So, yeah, at Unpub, Tony Miller had a game based on the movie They Live, which apparently that's like a famous line. I've never seen the movie, but I came here. It's very culty. It's very culty, but it's good. But it's very culty. But I came here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and I'm all out of bubblegum. You're all out of bubblegum. Right. It is literally how the RPG works. You can either roll dice to kick ass or you can spend one of your bubblegum to chew bubblegum. And eventually <laughs> you run out of bubblegum and have no choice but to just kick ass. Isn't there a weird mechanic in that one too where you can't do really like basic things? That, without, that's exactly like, what it is. So yeah, I was going to say, because that, that's a funny yes. one. Yeah. It's, it's like you can't, you can, if you, you describe yourself as like, yeah, if you describe yeah. yourself as like jumping over a handrail and doing a ninja roll while you're, you're shooting fine. three guns, yep. you're awesome. You don't have to chew bubblegum at all. Do anything. But if you want to cross the road safely, you want, yeah, you want to climb some stairs, yeah. forget chew it. Bubblegum. You gotta, you gotta chew bubblegum. <laughs> I love that concept. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, pretty it's, fun. it's super fun. Yeah. Sen, what would your edible game taste like? Oh, uh, my edible game would probably taste like, oh, I don't know. Probably something spicy. I like spicy Ooh. foods. Be spicy. <laughs> it could be like Maybe a pepper challenge. No, it'd be ginger. It'd be ginger oh. of some kind. Both out of respect and hatred for my mom's cooking. She, <laughs> she, like, she, she like puts like big chunks of ginger, and then you find them while you're eating. This is a very Chinese Asian oh. thing. And then you're like, oh, I like the ginger. Like, oh my god, there's so much ginger. <laughs> you're like, too much. Where's the shavings? Why are there right? cubes? Yeah. No, like this is like half the root in my mouth. That is not a potato. <laughs> that is not yes, a potato. that is not a potato. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so bubblegum was also the first thing that came to my mind but i'm now my my brain is going to like jolly ranchers and like uh, the, you know when you're a kid not jolly ranchers ranch. jelly bellies also jelly when you're like what flavor is this yes. you know that whole experience i the cheap jelly beans you mean <laughs> Well, you can't yeah. guess the flavors or the jelly bellies where there's too many flavors. Right. The jelly bellies where there's too many flavors. 
Yeah. Like, I like the popcorn one. That seems, yeah. that seems like the right flavor for a board game because then you can like make a mechanic out of it. Right. Um, there you go. Because I was thinking Jelly Bellies. I was thinking too too many flavors of Jelly Bellies. That's what my game would taste like. Ming is still yelling at the computer. He's still yelling. I always confuse the ginger with potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) We got new yelling. He also has an Asian mom. Also Asian mom. Um, Oh, another question. We have another question from Brad Bachelor. Hi, Elizabeth. Sorry if you covered this, but what are some of your favorite games? What inspired you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Same when I trains. when I first started on Wingspan, I was playing a lot of Race for the Galaxy. Okay, and so that always amuses me when reviewers are like, "Think of Race for the Galaxy, but with birds." And I'm like, "Yes, exactly. You That's got it. Where it came from." <laughs> um, what else? I just did an episode of Five Games for Doomsday that hasn't posted yet, so I don't want to rule the ruin the surprise. Oh no, they can my, go over there. List of favorites. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Totally well, there you fine. go. To get your answer, then tune in to <laughs> Five Games for Doomsday. There you go. Wonderful. Um, What's next? Well, we got a few minutes, so we should probably think about aiming ourselves in a more general direction than digging into the details of wingspan. Um, <laughs> We've already done that. Yes. We, is that yeah. a bunny rabbit? Yeah. I'm so sorry. He <laughs> of course only comes out when the show's on cause he's nocturnal. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So um, <laughs> among, amongst our, amongst our wonderful list of questions that uh, Erica prepared. Thank you, Erica. No. Um, one that I'm actually very interested to hear your feedback on because you're relatively new to the design scene, at least in this small circle of people on the stream. What is the advice that starting you think starting designers should listen to? And what advice that is often given do you think they should ignore? Hmm. Um definitely advice you should heed is to get things to the table as soon as possible. Like I think when I was early on, I spent way too much time in my head. And now I'm just like, I don't even bother. Like, just get it on the table. We'll see how this works. Like, I don't need to think 10 steps down the road. I'll start with a little piece of it and just keep adding. Um, Advice you can ignore is, you know, think about whether you really need to be willing to retheme your game or my advice to heed would be like integrate your theme so intimately with your mechanics that it would never make sense to retheme your game. That's fair. And you know what? You don't have to retheme a game guys. It's, it's up to you. You don't like, I, I think there's sometimes this idea that it's like, and especially I think when you're first starting out, you're just like, I, but I just want to sign something. And sometimes you have to stop yourself and say, but what do you want it to be? Mm-hmm. Right, right, and that's right. okay to say. Yeah, right. about re I, I guess there, there's a point when retheming. It's like okay, it doesn't matter because this game could literally be that thing anyways. Yeah, and that's fine. Uh, those games are typically, you know, maybe not as thematically integrated. But for other people, when the theme matters, uh, whether it's something that you love, like birding, or something that you're passionate about, like you know, it, it's a, the part of the world that your family comes from. You don't have to retheme that. You could wait. And the, it's just a, a price you pay for wanting some creative control. It's that you might not get it signed today. It might get signed tomorrow. But the cool thing about it is that usually 
the games where the theme and the mechanisms are so tightly integrated that they, they couldn't be anything else but, those are great games, right? Yeah. Because they speak yeah. to people. And, and there's I think that's intuitiveness great. for playing, I think. And that, I think that's what they're, there's a, they're, we've talked about this a Play uh, bunch of times. Yes. And so familiar themes are really important because everyone feels like they inherently know kind of what to do. And yeah. when it works together with the mechanics, then it becomes a very immersive experience. Also. Yes, good point. But but Daniel Zeiss is saying, why isn't this birds in space? Exactly. Or, or, or birds, birds but in space. space. If there's no atmosphere, I don't think birds can fly, right? No. no. Space suits. Space suits. We can suits. make them very adorable bird spacesuits. But not zombie <laughs> birds. I don't think we need zombie birds. That, zombie birds would be like super scary. Some people are already quite afraid of birds. Yeah, because there's yeah. birds. Yeah, that was something that, I mean, I guess that I kind of knew in the back of my head, but I'm always surprised when people are like, yeah, I can't play that game. I'm afraid of birds. Uh, you know what I've noticed when people are afraid of animals? It's animals that they can't predict their behavior of. Yes. So if they have no idea how that animal's going to react, they are petrified of that animal. <laughs> I think that's in general. That's probably fair. <laughs> it's fear of the unknown, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, Elizabeth. If people want to reach out to you, where can they do that? Um, I am pretty active on Twitter. So that's you a good are. place to find me. If you are on Twitter, I'm at Eliz Hargrave. So E-L-I-Z Hargrave. Um, the Facebook page for Wingspan is super active. And I chime in there a lot and check in on what people are posting. Um, super fun combination of like game stuff plus just random bird pictures. I'm sure if no one has posted about had a full what is had a full boyfriend had during this boyfriend. thing, I will, I will go share had a full boyfriend with the Facebook wingspan, the wingspan <laughs> Facebook group. That Ooh. is totally something up the alley at that group. Um, yeah, those are probably the two best places to find me right now. Excellent. Random, excellent. random question: What happens if you post a cat picture in the things, in the Wingspan Facebook group? Has it happened a yet? People is it like a thing? Pictures of cats in nests and are like, "What kind of bird is this?" Because there is a bird that's a cat bird. Oh, uh, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> uh, Paul would like to know what conventions you are likely to attend in the mm. near future. So I'm actually going to be at Stumptown Game Summit randomly on the West Coast because I'm going out there for work. It just happened oh, to be at the right time go. to go there um, to Portland. Um, so that's coming right up. I forget the exact date, the 16th or something, 18th, somewhere, whatever mm -hmm. that Saturday is around then in May. Um, and then I don't have any until Gen Con. So I'll be at Gen Con and um, Tabletop Network and BGG Con and right. PAX Unplugged and a little local con called WashingCon. Um, yeah, so there you go. Perfect. That's my plan. It's all backloaded into August and later. <laughs> that's okay, I think. Uh, I think most of ours is as well. Um, so I don't know if you knew, but we have a Patreon now. So let's talk about it because we've Yay! got about four minutes left. It's brand new, it's brand spanking new. So we started this Patreon uh two days ago. And thank you so much to all the people who've already signed on for the Patreon at whatever level you signed on. That's wonderful. Um, Jesse and Erica and I just want to bring the show up to kind of the next level. 
And to do that, we need a little bit of support in terms of money to buy the software and the licensing to make even cooler things and even better things. Uh, Jesse's been wanting to do a video essay series uh, for the longest time. And for that, we're going to need an actual real actual camera that's not my phone. Uh, <laughs> that might be beneficial. Um, and then we have some software costs that we pay on a monthly basis for things like DLive and a lot of the other graphic software that we use on a regular basis. So if you have a chance, go check it out, www.patreon.com slash syrup, and you will find various tier levels at which you can get cool things like access to uh, live, live streams that are just for patrons. Um, you can get buttons, you can get patches, you can get uh, your cell sheet reviewed by us, you can get things like that done. So at the higher pledge levels, which are, you know, you know, they're high for a reason, but you know, if you can spare anything, that would be wonderful. We can bring you even better things than we've brought you in the past. Uh, so even just today, Eric and I are talking about what our next infographic is gonna be. And yeah, I think it's gonna be on creativity, right? Yeah, we were, a lot of people ask like, you know, a, a big question is also like, how do you generate ideas? How do you go to that process? So. We want to do an infographic that kind of outlines different ways you can go through brainstorming in order mm -hmm. to start get just kickstart yourself onto like a path. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So for us, what is next? Uh, I think next week, Eric and I were talking. I don't know if Jesse was here. Were you Jesse here, was Jesse? at the ceiling. <laughs> I was in traffic. Yeah. Well, we talked about what we're doing next week. And next week on our schedule, let's take a look, is our design, design game. Uh, so I'm going to skip one week ahead just to tell you that it's most likely going to be uh, Matthew Dunstan, uh, who is the co-designer of Elysium and also is doing the adventure game series for Cosmos, which is kind of like a, not exactly like their escape room games, a little bit more like a choose your own adventure, point and click adventure style game. Uh, and so they're not really um, a sol solving game, they're more of an experiential narrative game. And Matthew wants to come on and talk about writing in the game industry. So not just in the game part of it, but also blogging and the Design 100 that he does and all sorts of other things. And how writing can be useful in getting your career to a point where people are actually, you know, following you, listening to you, wanting to know more about what you do. So writing in the industry, that might be on the 22nd, which is in two weeks. But next week, we're going to do uh, a Design in the Game thing. And Eric and I were talking about why don't we do a lot of brainstorming with all y'all, with all the people who, out there watching in Meeple Syrup Land, um, having you guys come in, um, not necessarily on the show, maybe on the show, I don't know, and talk with us about a new topic. Oh, Erica just crashed. There she is. She's coming back. She's coming back. Don't worry. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. So, Erica... Can you explain what might happen on one of the kind of designing the game days where we brainstorm with the people, with the with our meet? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this kind of stemmed from some of the conversations we've been having about like design diaries and like all these things because I think people like to see the process that you go through to get to an idea. Uh, so we were kind of playing with the idea of picking some sort of random starter, whatever it is. If it's like a topic sentence, whatever, or a Charizard, theme or mechanic. Charmander, sure. And then we'll go down a whole process of like, what would that look like? So we could even play around with, you know, like we were talking about dream IPs, maybe things that we would never 
actually come about, but why not go through the process of like, what does it look like to actually design or build an idea around an IP? Because I think the process itself is quite interesting and then we can get people to jump on and see kind of like a group brainstorm. Let's see what kind of games we start popping out um, for our design focuses and kind of model what that looks like. Excellent. Okay, so I think that's almost about it. Um, where do we get in touch with everybody here? Erica, where can we find you? All my game stuff is usually uh, Twitter, which is Frenemy Games, Frenemy with an I. And then uh, more of the personal stuff is Facebook. And then there's always the Facebook group. So we've got uh, the Meeple Syrup Facebook group, uh, which if you ever want to send a message, we'll get any of the three of us. And we also have the Meeple Syrup Shop Talk page. So if you haven't joined that, and if you have any design questions, industry questions, whatever it is, or even just asking like opinions on stuff or like, hey, what's what, you know, check this out. Definitely join that and start getting in on those conversations and part of that community. Yeah, we've got about 500 really active community members who are part of the industry in some way or the other. So come on to the shop talk and chit chat. Jesse, what about you? Where can we reach you? Uh, Meeple Syrup Facebook page. That's your best bet. You can, best you can tweet me, but I won't see it. <laughs> it's at PT Void if you really want. You can reach me at Twitter at uh, Senfeng Lim, all one word, and on the Facebook page as well. And Elizabeth is at Eliz Hargraves. Um, no S. Without an, with no S, yes, Hargraves yeah. uh, on Twitter. I, I corrected that on the, on the scroll there. So hopefully you yeah. can get in touch with us if you want. And uh, one last message from Stephen Dirk. Stephen Dirk says to you, Elizabeth, that he's looking forward to his local retailer to getting copies of the game finally to host a board game yeah. at our local interpreter center. Thanks for a great game. But, yeah, they should be there any day now. They're they're on their way. They're in mm -hmm. the United States and making their way to stores. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I was going to say, before we run off, we do have one last question. Yes, last question. It's tradition. Elizabeth, if you could give one piece of advice to game designers in other general. Other than the ones you've already given. Other than the pieces of advice. Yeah, you already asked me this. I know. <laughs> I have to give one more. Okay. One piece of advice for every designer to hear. What piece of advice would you give? Think harder about how to integrate your theme and your mechanics like double down on the theme and really integrate it into your game and make it something that people will care about above and beyond the fact that it's a game. And I think that that is part of why Wingspan has been so successful. That is, that is not gold, but a diamond. That is a great piece of advice. <laughs> make it something people care about above and beyond the fact that it's a game. Make it good. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And integrate that theme right in there with your mechanisms. Awesome, awesome. So we'll see everybody next week, same time, same place. Meeple Syrup is here to stay. Check out the Patreon. And thank you very much, Elizabeth, for joining us on the show. Elizabeth, Thanks for having me. It was wonderful having you. Okay. Erica and Jesse, you. we'll see you guys soon. You bet. And we'll talk to everyone else soon. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to help support our podcast and the live show, please visit www.patreon.com backslash meeple syrup. Thank you for your support.